Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Have you tried finding tickets for any live event lately? It's impossible to keep up and prices are crazy. That's why you have to check out Gold Star. Gold Star makes it easy to discover the best in live entertainment in your city with instant access to awesome events and special ticket deals. Concerts, live theater, comedy, dance, food fests, immersive experiences. You name it, Gold Star has access to special deals you won't find anywhere else with savings of 50% or more. Go to goldstar.com and use code DCPOD to save $10 on your first purchase. That's goldstar.com, code DCPOD to save $10. I'll, I'll add this third uh, reason since we've, we've both brought it up is one of the reasons why people don't love poetry is because they haven't heard good poetry read or even more importantly recited. Hey, it's Ryan and welcome to the prolific creator where we reflect on life and art and see what sticks. And today I am so pumped to have Christian Shockley on the show and Christian Shockley is a poet and he's a theologian and he helps people with their calling and their vocation. He's a teacher. He does a lot of things. And I'm so excited to hear his perspective on poetry and art and all kinds of stuff. And so this is a jam-packed, action-packed episode. And before you check out, because when I mentioned poetry, we might all check out and go, oh, I'm not a poet or I don't like poetry. I don't read poetry. But just hang in there. Uh, you are going to really enjoy his perspective on poetry because he just has a, a huge passion to see more and more people get involved with poetry, to read poetry, to write poetry uh, because of the ways it works on us. And I, I have a confession in the last few years, I've been reading more poetry, writing more, more, part, more poetry, I can't say it. Uh, and it's been a very life-giving thing for me. Um, and Christian has some great perspectives and angles on art and faith and poetry and i think you're really going to enjoy this this episode and it's it's jam-packed a lot of things to bring into your creator writer whatever thing you're making toolbox uh so don't check out uh just yet and i'm going to jump right into the interview and i'm going to see you on the other side and so here's my conversation with christian shockley Well, great, Christian. Great to have you on uh, on the show. And yeah, glad uh, to be here. I know people can't see us um, at this point, but uh, I do like your overalls. And uh, I, I appreciate it. The, the most comfortable thing I found to wear during the pandemic. Well, I feel like you should be like painting something right now. Like it just feels appropriate or writing poetry or. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. Part of why I started wearing overalls was because I picked up leatherworking as, as kind of my pandemic hobby. So it's not quite paint, but they are covered in uh, leather dye and glue and uh, the, nice. those uh, things of the trade. Yeah. I, I noticed you're, you're doing a lot of things. So we got poetry, we have theology, we have leatherworking. Um, you're making some beautiful stuff. So um, so why don't we just jump in and talk cool. a little bit about all the things you're doing? I actually saw a really funny 
post you had on, I think Twitter about, uh, actually walking into a store wearing your overalls and, uh, you know, getting some, some looks or comments and, uh, uh yeah, realizing maybe I, I didn't sit in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, thank you so much for having me on. I was, I was really grateful that you extended the the invitation. Uh, yeah. As, as someone in the South, uh, walking into places with overalls is, I guess, an invitation to a different sort of activity than I'm interested in. So I got asked, uh, to go to a racetrack slash tailgating party. And I'm like, dude, I, I just want to read poetry and, right. and, and books under a tree. So, right. And you know, what is poetry? What is that? Um, we're just going to look at trucks and cars and yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit of fish out of water too. I live in the Midwest now in Kansas city, but um, I'm originally from the West coast and from Los Angeles. So, you know, there's some, some interesting things living in, uh, different places and people you yeah. run into. So tell us a little bit about that. So you're, are you originally from the South or how'd you end up wh- where you're at? Yeah, I, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, um, which I'm I'm very fortunate uh, to have have grown up in in that small now kind of booming city. Uh, it was once the textile capital of the world. In fact, my family has been there since something like 1750. So I'm really from Greenville. Uh, my my papa, uh, who actually I'm, I'm named after, uh, my middle name is Robert. After Robert Shockley. He worked in the the textile mills there. Kind of a funny story. The the co-working place where the company I work for now is located is actually in that same textile mill where Mm. my my papa quit eighth grade to go and work and and support his family. So yeah, I I spent I've spent most of my life in uh, in Greenville, uh, a a little stint in Asheville during junior high and high school, and then um, since graduating university, have kind of bounced around. So a, a couple of years in Greenville a couple of years in, in Brooklyn, uh, a couple of years in, in London. Uh, and now, uh, just briefly I'm, I'm in Tennessee. So kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it. So yeah, it's funny. You're talking about South Carolina. I, I just was kind of deep diving into a little bit of uh shepherd Ferry, a little bit of his story. I don't know if you know who that okay, is, yeah. but yeah, the guy, I, I I've heard the name, but I haven't read his stuff. Okay. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's a, um, he's the one who, who designed the hope, um, Obama hope poster, He's kind of yeah. this famous street artist um, and does a lot of like activism and things. But anyway, he happens to be from South Carolina. And, oh yeah, of yep. course. And he, he talks about, you know, growing up in the South and then ended up ending up in New York, you know, in the graffiti hip hop scene. And then now he's in Los Angeles. But so, I mean, along those lines, like tell us a little bit, I mean, you've been, you know, into London, South Carolina, Tennessee, did you say Tennessee? Tennessee um, now, yeah. Yeah. Tennessee and New York. Um what have you been learning along the way? I mean, I know you've been doing art and theology and all kinds of different stuff. And uh, I mean, how's that, those experiences been for you and, and just in your own work and your own life. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in a, in a pretty religious uh, background and that, that drew me especially to, to theology from, from an early age, there was some poetry uh, mixed in there, but, but really I, I grew up wanting to become, a pastor. That was, that was my main aim that I was kind of talking about since I was uh, uh, 12 or 13. And slowly that kind of uh, transitioned and evolved as I found some other loves out in the world. Uh, I started acting in plays in, in high school and college, and that kind of broke open uh, poetry, a love of poetry for me. Um, then finally in, in university, I was debating between, you know, uh, this love of uh theology, philosophy, and, and art, really the humanities, and uh, this desire to become a pastor, not that uh, those two loves are in competition. And they were kind of blended up together, kind of bundled together in this really beautiful way when I took a class on, on John Milton uh, and, and saw the kind of theological heavy lifting that something like poetry could do. And, and not only the theological heavy lifting, but also its ability to speak to us in a particular way. I found a lot of commonality between, you know, some of my favorite uh, sermons or, or preachers and uh, some of my favorite poems and poets that there's this kind of um, rhetoric and passion and way of speaking that helps eyes open. Um, so that kind of led me to this point of, uh, at the end of university, 
not being sure whether I should choose this kind of route in seminary or go study literature more directly. And it turns out I didn't have to make that choice. So I, I decided to, um, to go to London and, and uh, study in grad school there with a little brief stop in New York along the way. Uh, and uh, studied with this, uh, this, this wonderful professor uh, by the name of Ben Quash at, at King's College London, and was able to uh, study the idea of beauty in Western theology with him and really dig into why poetry can do that kind of theological heavy lifting uh, that it does. Um, along the way, an important kind of thread, because uh, they've, they've helped me in so much, I started working at a company called Pathright uh, that, that focuses in online education. And I, I think about education there. Um, they've been such a, a supporter of, of people with diverse interest uh, that I, I don't want to fail to mention them and, and the kind of home base that they gave me. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, uh, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit of just some of the online education, just your, your passion yeah. for that and, and what you've been thinking about and reflecting on. Cause I, I think it's an important conversation just as people, you know, learn and, and, in different mediums and, and the pros and cons of that. And, um, actually ran into you because of one of your courses, you know, your, your yeah. poetry and, and, uh, you know, theology course. And, uh, so I love this because this is part of what I think this show is really trying to be about is just people that are doing interesting things. And, and it's not always the nice, neat, you know, path. And yeah, there's a lot of, colli- it is not, right, yeah. a lot of colliding disciplines, um, I, I find it interesting when you get into like theology or religion and then art, um, there, there's kind of these, these polar camps, you know, of you, you can't have both, you know, it's like, it's yes. one or the other there's, you know, you either have to do, you know, overtly religious art or secular art. There's nothing in between. Um, even using that language sometimes gets kind of gets things kind of muddled up. Um, so, so talk us through a little bit of why poetry in particular, when you think about, um, you know, expressing art, however, whatever language you want to use, but, but why poetry, why you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, why you think it's such a great avenue or medium to kind of help do theology or to help yeah. think about God, think about life, think about the world. Um, yeah. Talk us through kind of how, how have these ideas kind of been blossoming in your head and your heart? So uh, Rowan Williams has written a, an excellent book on, on kind of what language can can do for us and he has he's got a few chapters in there that are particularly on poetry that book's called the edge of words i think why poetry is is so important is because it it uh doesn't uh uh preclude on a certain outcome it's it's mission isn't to just have a thesis statement in fact very often it's quite the opposite it doesn't want to wind you towards some uh nice tidy solution instead it wants to open up a, a world of of possibility. Um, actually, if you don't mind, just because it's coming to mind, there's this beautiful poem by by Christian Wyman that kind of illustrates exactly what I mean. Would you mind if I shared that that poem no, with you and, and the listeners? Go for so it. So this is a, a poem uh, by Christian Wyman called "Every Riven Thing." He says, "God goes belonging to every riven thing He's made. Sing His being simply by being the thing it is." Stone and tree and sky, man who sees and sings and wonders why God goes. Belonging to every riven thing he's made means a storm of peace. Think of all the atoms inside the stone. Think of the man who sits alone, trying to will himself into a stillness where God goes belonging. To every riven thing he's made is given one shade, shaped exactly to the thing itself. Under the tree, a darker tree. Under the man, the only man to see, God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. Uh, I I left out a little stanza there, but I think that that poem illustrates the kind of uh, playfulness that uh, a poem can, can do. Uh, he takes this one line, God goes belonging to every ribbon thing, and he splits it up for us as each new stanza unfolds and we capture this, this new meaning. Instead of starting with this thesis statement and proving a point, he actually starts with this statement and then breaks it up to show us the wealth of meaning that's kind of 
hidden inside. In other words, uh, in poetry, language becomes a method of exploration and discovery. Part of that is because of that that very playfulness. It lets you um, do things like mash up words that that you wouldn't expect to go together through through rhyme and rhythm. Uh, but it also appreciates uh, the the blank space, the white space of the page. It uh, in in theology, there's a, a tradition of of apophatic language, or in other words, what can't be said about God. Uh, and there are some people who believe all theology winds up at what can't be said about God, not what can be said about him. And poetry respects that. It respects that there is always going to be blank space or unknowns. There's always going to be that line transition that suddenly changes our, our meaning. Uh, it, it, to, to quote another poem, uh, another poet, uh, T.S. Eliot in his poem, Ash Wednesday, has this lovely line where he says, teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to sit still. In other words, poetry is respecting the paradox and tension that many of us find uh, as as we're going through life. Many people, I believe, uh, reject theology in part because we often try to make theology so tidy. We try to make it about finding that one right answer. And instead, poetry opens up a, a world of, of discovery while still appreciating truth and beauty and goodness. So I, so Christian, I cannot make this up and you can't see it to the, my right, uh, maybe it's your left. Um, I'm, I'll hold up the book right here. Yes. And I had it, thing. I, I actually had it dog-eared to that page and I was going to read it to you in case you hadn't heard it, which I imagine you have because you know you're a big Christian Wyman fan. I am, uh, yeah. I, I messed up that that last stanza. I think he goes yeah, something like I was gonna uh, talk to you about that. No. God God goes belonging. Uh he's made the things that make things uh he's made the things that make things go, made the mind that brings him near a part of what man knows. Apart mm-hmm. from what man knows, God goes belonging to every ribbon thing he's made. Mm-hmm. This is the challenge of uh, of putting too many poems to memory, which right, has right. been also an important part of my story. Yeah. But uh, even even Wyman misquoted is is uh, better than than no Wyman at all. Sure, sure. And I, you know, there, there's a. It's a I mean, it's a, it's actually a perfect poem, I think, to to pick. I, I'm very new to poetry. I, I've kind of used to read a lot of poetry. Then I stopped reading a lot of poetry. I don't know why. And then I've kind of picked it up again. And Christian Wyman was one of the ones that someone had recommended said, Hey, check out some of his work. He has a lot of stuff out there. Um, and I, I heard him actually read this poem and in that little phrase, every riven thing, there's something mm. about the, the sing songy nature of that little phrase. Yes. Uh, even if you don't know what it is or what, I mean, that's a weird word. We don't use riven, you know, I mean, no, we do not. Yeah. You know, it's, is it Raven? Is it riven? Like who speaks like that? Talks like that. Um, but that's the, the power I think of what you're, you're saying about words and language is it, it, it can kind of almost backdoor truth in a way, um, that's it, yeah. you know, it, it kind of comes in, in the side door, or the back door in a weird way that you weren't expecting. And, and even as you, you, you say it out loud, um, I, I watched a few of your, your YouTube videos, uh, which I'll, I'll put in the show notes for people to, but you, you take poetry and read it out loud and kind of talk about it, reflect on it. And there's something about doing it verbally as opposed to just reading it in your head. Um, there is a, there's a nature to it. There's a song to it. There's a music to it. Um, you know, you read Mary Oliver or, so, or someone like that. Um, there's, there's more power when you read it out loud. And, it, and it's interesting because um, I mean, as you know, like the Bible, like there's the Psalms and, and it's, it's songs and prayers, but it's poetry, you know, and mm. even the book of revelation, I mean, some would argue that John is actually a poet. He's an apostle, but he's yes. also a poet. The way he writes this apocalyptic, you know, very image based book letter. Um, it's, it's meant to be read that way. You know, it's the, there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot yeah. of um, rhythm to the kind of Hebraic language that you see in there and throughout the scripture. So it's, it's, it's very artistic, but it's also intentional at the same time, which is, is very yeah. fascinating when you think about that. It's, it's uh, intentional and it's also inheritable. I think that's one of the most important things that as Christians, we can, we can come away from looking at the Bible that we've got this, this massive book right smack dab in, in the section that we call uh, wisdom literature, the, the longest book full of poems, prayers, and songs that are meant to be passed down. Mm-hmm. One of, uh, I think, some of the most beautiful moments uh, in scripture are when uh, Christ quotes the Psalms 
for his own place and his own condition. They're designed in such a way to be both particular, but also to be passed on to future generations so that the, the meaning doesn't change, but rather it becomes more particular when we adopt it in the present moment. Uh, there's a, a theologian who I'm sure many of your listeners will know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a lovely little book called Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible. I would encourage uh, anyone to read that. He talks about uh, the ways in which the Psalms are meant to be uh, passed down and shared among uh, Christian communities. But even when you, when you take a, a longer poem like Job, Job has had such an impact uh, on my life. Uh, and, and my theology, you find those same kind of uh, tenets of, of poetry that we just talked about expressed through this much longer story. You know, we've got Job who, who sits in this very particular suffering, his friends making very particular statements about his situation. And what does, what does God do? He, he appears on the scene uh, be, ready to reveal beauty to Job. And instead of giving particular answers, he shows him the, the full breadth of, of this story that Job is living in, and he leaves room open for mystery and paradox. He recreates this context for Job, and uh, one of the most startling statements, I think, in all of Scripture is, is after Job goes through this whirlwind kind of a, a adventure where his world is repainted uh, through this beauty and terror and mystery that, that uh, is revealed. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And what he saw was all of creation and this context that was created for him. So even in God leaving this blank space, this white space where he doesn't even reveal himself to Job like he uh, revealed himself to, um, oh, why is the name uh, uh, leaving me right now, uh, revealed himself to Moses, uh, just showing the back of himself. He doesn't even reveal himself that plainly. He shows him creation, and Job says, my eyes see you. I think that's the power of, of leaving room for blank space and interpretation uh, in, in this kind of literature and writing. Now, uh, re, you know, regardless of you know, those listening, whether they have a you know, Christian background or not or any kind of religion, but uh, putting that aside, I guess, uh, yeah. what, what is the resistance to poetry in general? Um, you know, whether we're, you know, even for Christians that, you know, are question. familiar with a lot of poetry in the Bible and it's all over. Yeah. And yet we, we kind of just in general, we don't gravitate toward it. We, we have a hard time with it. We maybe try to do too much of it. I mean, just as you've worked with students and as you've tried to teach and explain sure. and encourage, like, what are some of the the responses you get? Even people that have, you know, maybe like myself that, you know, kind of resisted it for a lot of years, but then came back to it and just started to find this kind of new beauty and weight and you know, just sitting with it and, and, and it working on you in ways that you didn't expect. I mean, what, what, what has been kind of your experience around those kind of conversations? That's such an important question. Uh, and it, it's at the heart of the, the project that you referred to earlier, Poetry for Humans. Um, by the way, I just want to footnote this and kind of say one of the most important things I think we can do is, as humans uh, is to determine what we think our calling should be not what we think our job or career should be. So, so personally, I kind of view my calling as to share stories and ideas that help people live more meaningful lives. Well, as soon as I establish that, it means I have this whole map of territory to explore, whether it's poetry and theology, whether it's education, whether it's uh, a YouTube show, whatever it is, I get to explore all these facets in harmony instead of viewing them in, in competition. So you'll, you'll hear me mention a lot of different projects and it's a good thing. I want all that diversity mixed in so I can discover new things. But the, you know, the purpose of poetry for humans is, is to make uh, poetry more accessible. I think uh, a lot of times people don't find it accessible, one, because of the way they were taught it. Uh, most of our, our first, well, our very first uh, encounter with poetry is usually through music or through a nursery rhyme. But our, our first memory of poetry is in this stuffy environment we call the classroom, mm -hmm. whether it's grade school or high school or university. And poetry there is, is treated in this very clinical way. I used to tell my, my high school literature students, dissected things are dead things. 
And most of the time when we encounter poetry as students, it's, it's like when we encounter that frog in science class and we're, we're dissecting it, we're cutting it open to find out what it, what's inside instead of trying to find a way for it to breathe into us, for us to breathe it, which as you mentioned earlier with the kind of oral and aural nature of poetry is, is its very purpose. It is its history. It is designed to be shared vocally and to be remembered that way. It is an oral tradition. So I think, you know, one, one answer to that question is most of us um, find it in this dissected environment where it's, it's taken apart like a car uh, instead of uh, us seeing what it's true, it's true purpose is. Uh, I think second, um, you know, and along with that, we think that that poetry requires some mysterious knowledge to understand it. We don't understand that a lot of people who began writing poetry don't have any formal training in it. They just took to it as as a form of of expression. Um, So one of the most helpful things that we can do. I'll, I'll add this third uh, reason since we've we've both brought it up is one of the reasons why people don't love poetry is because they haven't heard good poetry read or even more importantly recited. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I, I do in, in this uh, online poetry and theology class that's that's coming up is with each poem you read, I include a recording of myself reading that poem. And and so many people, my my friend Tim Buck, who has been my friend since 10 years old. He's out in San Francisco now. Uh, he said, as soon as I could hear you read it, I could understand it. And that is so important. So even if you're reading a poem for the first time, let your own voice read it to you. Read it out loud so you can hear how you want your tongue, how you want your brain to interpret those words on the page and read it out loud over and over again. And as soon as those things happen, we find out that poetry is actually one of the most approachable, interpretable art forms that exists. And we get to go over it again and again and wonder and play with what those little words mean. It is, um, it's a joke. And I mean that kind of uh, literally. Uh, one of my, my favorite quotes is from Jerry Seinfeld in his show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. He said, poems are just jokes without punchlines. And what what he's really getting at there is both in writing a poem and in writing a joke, we're looking for a kind of playfulness. We're looking for a kind of unexpectedness. We're looking to not take things too seriously and find out that there's actually this other very, very serious thing embedded in there. Um, Some of my most uh, some of my uh, favorite comedians are people who uh, have made me cry the most. Um, So as soon as we kind of approach it in that way sing it out loud and stop trying to dissect it, we find uh, uh, these new rich meanings uh, buried within that text. Well, I, I really, I, I really like your perspective on this. So you, you brought up a, quite a few interesting points uh, and we were talking about the, the audio, the audio, the audible way of reading it out yeah. loud. Um, when I started kind of getting interested in poetry again, it was actually, again, not to be, you know, I sound like I'm a Christian Wyman fanboy, but, um, but you know, <laughs> I am, so please watch it. Me. Yeah. Well, just watching, you know, not knowing where to go and, you know, who is this guy and, and actually heard him at, you know, Yale just giving a lecture and it was like you know, right. a lecture on poetry. What, what is this? And, he, and during his lectures, he always reads poetry, like, and he gives the audience poetry to read with him. And he has that one that he loves to read. I think it's A.R. Ammons. Um, I was going to about to bring yeah. that up. Yeah. Is it City Lights or um, yeah, called, yeah. And just to hear him read that never heard of A.R. Ammons. And then, you know, since then often I've kind recites of, it. Yeah. Recites it verbatim. Um, it, it, it just did something to me. Like, I don't even know who, who this Ammons guy is, but this, yeah. this is a beautiful poem and, and he kind of sh- uses it as an example of what it can do to you. Um, yes. and, and it, it is, it's weird how these words just kind of get lodged in you little phrases, little back and forth, or what does that even mean? Or what's really, you're, you're almost, you know, what, trying to understand who the person is and what they're up to. What are they even right. talking about? And a lot of times they're not even really talking about literal things. It's just the, the way certain things hit them or the way they're just, you know, and, and I think um, I was going to go back to your point about uh, the dissection. I like, I like the way you talked mm. about that is in, in school, at least for me, it was, we always were to be the critic, you know, you read Shakespeare, you read, you know, modern literature and the classics quote unquote, which I th- always think we read way too young. I don't think we can appreciate them 
we're just too young and, and immature. And it's like, you know, you should love this. And it's like, you're just like, I don't even understand what they're saying. Um, mm. but you know, it's amazing how much 10 years later, you're like, Oh, I get it now. You know? Um, but we do that with poetry and then we would have these different kinds of poetry, different genres of actual, you know, haiku and all these things. And then you kind of get that in your head and you don't want to make poetry because it seems so clinical and so formulaic. And you realize yeah. as you get into different, different poets and different styles and forms, it's like, there's really no rule book on how to do it. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's not, you know, it's got to, it always has to rhyme or it always has to be this long or it always has to have, you know, and, and there's different ways of obviously doing it, but I, that, that to me, as I've kind of studied it more and got into it as, has been a freedom, I, you know, I've written a little bit of poetry myself, but just for me, just for fun and realizing mm -hmm. like, Hey, you have a blank canvas just to express, right. See what comes out rather than feel like it's got to fit in this nice, neat, you know, um, you know, formula or whatever, because I think that's what, you know, with writing, with creating, with painting, like everyone thinks there's like, this is how you do it, you know? And, and mm -hmm. that's the beauty of art. There really is not a whole, you know, not, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, this is the only way, or this is, you know, there's styles and there's ways and there's approaches and skill, of course. Um, but I, I like that freedom that it gives you that poetry gives you because man, I pick up three different poetry books and they're all different styles, which I don't think people realize. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, previously in, in history and time, there were these very strict styles, which can, you know, in, in themselves, they have their time and place uh, to, to offer a kind of freedom. Rowan Williams, uh, who, as you can tell, is a, is a great influence on, on me in this book, The Edge of Words. He talks about how when we uh, constrict ourselves to, to certain rhyme schemes, which very often can be um, uh, cultural and traditional, uh, then, then we make new discoveries. The word refrigerator doesn't rhyme with the word light in English, <laughs> but it might in Welsh. I sure. don't know. And uh, I can make a connection with refrigerator and light, maybe in Welsh, that I can't make in English. So rhyme becomes a method of discovery. But you're exactly right. I mean, so many artists say that uh, the rules are, are there uh, and we should learn mm -hmm. them in order to break them, right? Sure. Uh, in order to find this kind of new freedom that brought to mind um, a uh, Karita Kent's uh, rules for, for, for art. Uh, I, I won't read uh, through all of them now, but I think, uh, you know, her her rules for art. I'm even uh, just looking now. Rule number four, consider everything an experiment. You know, mm -hmm. what if the rules we were handed as artists were more like that? Consider everything an experiment. Be willing to fail, fail often, fail big uh, and, and see what that failure might might lead to next. Mm -hmm. It's it's so much more freeing, um, you know, but if if poems aren't meant to be uh, dissected, we're really asked then what, what should they be for us? I think A.R. Ammons is a really good uh, kind of conversation partner for, for us here. I think what poems can be, in fact, I think they can be six different things. Um, I think they can be silence for us. Actually, let me, uh, let me pull up my little list. I, I was able to give a talk on, on what I think poetry can, can be for us today, if not literature, uh, with uh, one of my uh, most influential mentors. Her name's Renee Hobbs. Um, I'll, I'll kind of run through this real quick. I think poems can be for us silence. We've already talked about that one a little bit. They can create space for us just to breathe, just to have a moment of, of refuge in a very noisy world. I also think they can be, and we've, we've talked about this one. Um, I also think they can be a kind of eternity. They can, they can um, be a way for us to pass on uh, uh, certain kinds of, of information and stories. As, as I've already said, I, I love the intersection of, of poetry and jokes, of comedians and poets. And one of my favorite comedian poets, if I can, uh, Dave Chappelle, whose humor at times can be uh, uh, pretty intense. So I don't necessarily recommend every joke he's ever told. Uh, but he, when he was receiving the Mark Twain Prize, which is, I think, a, a pretty good uh, special to watch, he, he has this, um, this quote on, on the word griot, uh, which is uh, a word for storyteller um, in, in his his tradition. He has this beautiful quote. He said, we had a real oral tradition in our house. I knew the word griot when I was a little boy. A griot was a person in Africa who was charged with keeping the stories of the village. 
everyone would tell the griot the stories and they would remember them all so they could tell future generations. And when they got old, they would tell them to someone else. And they say in Africa that when a griot dies, it was like a library was burnt down. Hmm. And my mother used to tell me before I ever got into comedy that I should be a griot. And she'd fill me with every story of black life. And she would let me understand the context I was being raised in, that I'm being raised in a hostile environment that I have to tame. And I love that idea that, that he's bringing in that stories were passed down. These stories became a kind of eternity where we just keep passing them down and down and down. And they create a context for us to be our ourselves. Um, but I think that, that poems too, back to A.R. Ammons, uh, can be a kind of attention. They can be awareness. Uh, one of uh, another influence on me who I, I bet maybe would be an influence on you as well is, is Austin Cleon. I know you and I uh, both enjoy doing blackout poetry. And, yeah. and I know I, I kind of got that from, uh, from Austin Cleon. Um, uh, but uh, A.R. Ammons talks about how poems can be a kind of attention and awareness. And he very famously used to have these receipt poems he would do where he would put a receipt roll in his typewriter and he would just keep it going and just create a poem of everything he saw, everything he ate. Uh, and it was a way for him to kind of draw awareness, uh, almost a form of meditation mm -hmm. to, um, to his day, to his life. It, it's not meant to be a thing to dissect. And in, in, in other words, it's just meant to be a kind of beautiful record of even the mundane. Uh, and it doesn't have, even have to be beautiful. But then I think, too, if you don't mind, uh, one more, I think poems can be a kind of descent for us. They can be a way for us to, to push back even in a gentle way uh, against whatever might be um, happening in our lives. Yeah, no, I, I, I was actually going to. Yeah, I'm, it's funny you're saying that. I was actually thinking that as you're saying that the idea of, uh, you know, being aware of being like the everyday, but also noticing things that aren't right, noticing things that are broken, noticing things. Yes. You know, I think poetry by nature slows you down. Yeah. Uh, I like you've used that word a few times, like what, you know, this white space. Uh, Cause a lot of poetry, when you read it, yeah, it's, you know, birds and trees. And I mean, Christian Wyman, I remember he talks about one of his well-known poems about this tree that had fallen down. You probably know more than me, but um, I saw, is it the one I saw a tree? Yeah. And it was, a tree rise kaleidoscopically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he, he was just talking about how I was looking out the window and he was just one day and he noticed this tree sitting inside of a tree and he yeah. wrote a poem about it. Right. Um, but there's something about a meditative, contemplative, reflective kind of posture you have to take to kind of see these things, especially, um, I was just talking with my wife about this. Um, and again, I'm not a Luddite when it comes to technology, but you know, when you walk into a, you know, doctor's office airport, I mean, everybody's heads are down on their phone, staring at their hands, you know, and it's like, what are we losing when we're not aware of just the, oh, that person has a little crooked smile or, oh, that yeah. bird that just flew by the window or, you know what I mean? Like everything is, is now live through another medium or another platform and, and they have, have their place, obviously. Um, but, but what does it do to our souls? What does it do to our lives mm. when we're not attentive, when we're not, or we're not seeing even the pain around us that we're just unaware because we're just oblivious because we're just so absorbed with ourselves, our technology, or, you know, our own little, you know, worlds, um, which I think poetry can kind of get, get you out of yourself. Um, there's so a, true. Do, you know, the poet, uh, Jer, uh, Jericho Brown, you ever heard his name? I have. Yeah. 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 He actually, I think he won a Pulitzer or one of the big awards, uh, recently, but, um, but yeah, he wrote a, he wrote a poem about, um, about guns and violence. And it was just really powerful of, from his, you know, he's African-American and just from his perspective and his, you know, just dealing with that and violence. And, um, and it just moved me like, what a, what a way to kind of say, this isn't right, you know, and to do it through yes. poetry. Um, and it's not loud and in your face, but it's subversive and it works on you in a unique way and, and it gets you to think and reflect and go, yeah, what, <laughs> or what is going on here? You know, why is it this way? Um, yeah. So two points there. Um, I, I love your, your mention that, um, poems can be, uh, something for us to, to think about that calls our awareness to, uh, to the world around us. For me, that's actually why I started memorizing 
uh, poems. And I've, I've gone through stretches. Usually I go through a stretch every year where I memorize about a poem a week uh, and, and try to review them. That practice for me started in, in 2014, whenever I was dealing with um, a particular, particularly difficult bout of, of depression and anxiety and living in New York at the time and would take the subway. This was when the subway definitely didn't have Wi-Fi. I think that it maybe does now, but I kind of found myself literally trapped underground with strangers and my own thoughts. <laughs> uh, and at that time I started reading Christian Wyman's, uh, memoir, my bright abyss. And, um, he weaves poems into his story so effortlessly that I wanted that in my head. At that time, I had already heard him recite poems once. Um, and I, I wanted that. So I started memorizing poems as, as a kind of way for me to say, well, I don't like my brain running my own thoughts through my head. I don't like where these circuits are going. And poems kind of became like a record. I could, I could drop, drop in and each line was a groove that my brain could, could kind of drop into and follow that wasn't my own thoughts. And in fact, could direct my, my own thoughts. Um, so I'd encourage anyone who's, who's struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety to, to certainly seek help through, um, whether it be, you know, uh, therapy or counseling or, or medicine, whatever is, is healthy for you. Um, but also to consider habits like, uh, memorization that, that take our mind to other beautiful, true, good, lovely things as, as Paul says. Um, but then on this point of descent, I, I really want to go read this, this Jericho Brown poem now, but it, it, uh, calls to mind this poem by, by Michael Longley, um, that I, I did have memorized, but, uh, after my, my misstep earlier, I'm, uh, uh hesitant to quote it. And I think you'll see why. So he, he uh, Michael Longley is an, is an Irish poet uh, writing a, a lot about the troubles in, in, in Northern Ireland, the struggle between Protestants and Catholics. And uh, there was this one uh, bombing on, on his road uh, where uh, uh, the ice cream shop was, was, was taken out and the, um, or maybe the shop wasn't taken out, but uh, the, the owner of the ice cream shop was killed by in this, in this bombing. And so Michael Longley writes this poem that I call a poem of gentle descent, uh, pushing back against, against these struggles and in honor of this ice cream man. Uh, do you mind if I uh, share that? Yeah, no, your, go for it. Your listeners. So Up to. it's uh, it's, it's really beautiful. He writes this, um, for his daughter. So you can kind of imagine him speaking to his, his daughter in these first few lines, rum and raisin, vanilla, butterscotch, walnut, peach you would rhyme off the flavors that was before they murdered the ice cream man on the lisburn road and you bought carnations to lay outside his shop i named for you all the wildflowers of the burn i had seen in one day time valerian loose strife meadow sweet tway blade crowfoot Ling, Angelica, Herb Robert, Marjoram, Cow Parsley, Sundew, Vetch, Mountain Avens, Wood Sage, Ragged Robin, Stitchwort, Yarrow, Ladies Bedstraw, Bindweed, Bog Pimpernel. And that's it. That's the poem. Mm. This beautiful list of gentle descent, and in fact, there are uh, 21 flowers, wildflowers mentioned there uh, in, in honor of the, the number of, of flavors in the ice cream man shop, if I uh, remember correctly. Uh, in, in the podcast on being, you can hear Michael Langley uh, quote that poem and uh, tell that story himself. I'd, I'd encourage listeners to, to go and, and check that out. Uh, but I, I love this poem because he, you know, except for this one line mentioning they, they murdered the ice cream man on, on the Lisbon road, except for that one line, the poem isn't necessarily about that. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's calling our attention to this, this beauty and wildlife in honor of this man who was, who was killed. Uh, it's, it's a form of gentle descent pushing mm -hmm. back against, uh, the, the, things dissolving around us, the, the evil, um, which 
Gregory of Nyssa is another theologian who is very influential on in me, and he kind of sees evil as uh, deconstruction, right? It's, it's tearing down things around us. And, and Michael Langley is, is calling us to, to this beauty, this reconstruction around us. And I think that's uh, what you're describing is a great example of just what art can do and yes. in kind of the subversive, like, I like the way you said, gentle descent, it, you know, a little bit of a uh, shepherd fairy, a little bit of his work. I mean, he's, he, he does these screen prints and paintings and things and, it, you know, and he uses humor too, where it'll be like a couple, you know, standing on the shore hugging and then off of the distance is like a, you know, power plant. Um, that's just, you know, junks going up into the sky and yeah. then you'll have like a little phrase that will, you know, it, it'll be like humorous, like, isn't America beautiful kind of, you know, kind of thing. Yes. And it's just that, that little barb that gets you to think, yeah, there's some tension there. There's right. some like things are beautiful and good and, and God's made a, a good world, but there's also these dark parts and these broken parts, you know, and, and, and sometimes art does that where it's, it's almost like a sleight of hand, you know, it's we're oh, looking, that's such a good way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. We're, li- we're looking at this. My, my kids are really into <laughs> trying to do magic tricks of, right. of late and it's, yeah, you're looking at this, but really they're doing something over here and it's going, Oh, that's where the, the magic is. That's where the juice is. That's where the, that's where it's all headed. Yes. Right. Um, but, but I think, po- you know, poetry, art, other art, art forms can kind of do that um, in a, in a powerful way. Speaking of other art forms and magic, uh, if, if your listeners or you uh, haven't, haven't seen this, there's a, a um, show on, on Hulu. It's not a, a series, but it's a, a kind of a special called in and of itself. That is uh, a magician and, uh, sleight of hand card magic tricks, but really it's so much more. It's this little documentary about his life uh, and this beautiful kind of um, contemplation on the world and who we are as individuals. Mm-hmm. I think it's a kind of poetry. Uh, so I would encourage people to go and, and watch that in and of itself. Sounds great. So, so Kristen, so you're, um, I, I wanted to hit just a little bit, just, I want to be sensitive to your time. Um, sure. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, poetry and theology and art and, and the effects it can have. Um, but one of your, you know, big uh, emphasis, I think in your, your work uh, and w- where I started to connect with you was just online education. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to first, maybe there's two, a two pronged question of this, but, but first I just want to, I want people to hear about your, your project and I'm not going to say this correctly, but I know Mandelstein, Mandelstam, is that how you say it? yeah. Yes. And uh, reflecting on this this poet uh, during um, Nazi Germany, World War II, um, and Christian Wyman, some other reflection. You, you've built a course out on that. Um, but, I, but I'd love to hear, just talk a little about that project in particular, and then also just on the more broad sense, just online education, kind of sure. why you've given a, a lot of time and effort and some of your work toward that. Yeah, so Ossip Mandelstam, uh, he was he was a poem. Actually, you're you're bringing in uh, uh, another thread that that we're going to look at. We're going to look at Karl um, uh, Barth uh, and uh, Hanser's von Balthasar, who were who were two theologians working in in uh, uh, during World War II um, uh, and kind of around uh, Germany. They were both in in Switzerland at the time. And then Ossip Mandelstam was a poet who wrote in the early 20th century under Stalin. Uh, one of the interesting things is Christian Wyman has ended up translating uh, or versioning, as he calls it. I'll show this uh, title to you uh, in a book called Stolen Air, a lot of poems of Ossip Mandelstam. So the course is basically asking the question, whenever life is in turmoil, whenever we are in a kind of exile, whether it's a very real political exile, like what Mandelstam went through under Stalin, whether it's another kind of exile, like uh, what what Christian Wyman struggled with in his cancer diagnosis, which he talks a lot about in his memoir, My Bright Abyss. Why, when people are in exile, do they turn to poetry? Because so many of us who are comfortable don't view poetry as a necessity. It's not the first thing that we turn to. But so often when people are forced into desperate situations in one form or another, they turn to poetry. So it's asking why that is and uh, looking for a few answers of how we can incorporate uh, poetry into our own lives. So it's a a six to eight week course. And each week we talk about two poems uh, from Ossip Mandelstam translated by Christian Wyman. 
we read those poems, uh, reflect on, on what those poems are doing, how they relate to each other. The course is kind of structured around these six tensions of exile that I, I noticed as I was uh, uh, doing my, my research. Uh, and we look at poems along those themes and then ask, um, what can poetry be for us? If it was so much for uh, people like uh, David or Mary Oliver or Lucille Clifton or whoever it might be, if it was so much, if it meant so much to Asit Mandelstam and Christian Wyman, what can it mean for us today? How can we bring it into our lives personally? No, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm signed up for the course. So I'll, I'll, awesome. uh, I'm yeah, looking forward to so jumping much. in with you and, uh, and I'll put that in the show notes as well as people can, can find that. And, uh, and, and I love that because I, I think that's some, sometimes where art is at its best. It's, it's, I think the best art and probably the stuff that sticks around is yeah. out of pain, out of sorrow, out yes. of exile, out of loss. Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of the letters in the, in the scriptures, you know, revelation it's written to a people that are, you know, being persecuted and, and they need hope and they need, you know, to, to keep on going. Right. And, and a lot of the Psalms, I mean, very, very honest, you know, like the theologian, John Calvin says, you know, it's the Psalms are, are the anatomy of the soul because it, there's, mm, there's nothing yeah. in there that you haven't experienced or will experience that the Psalmist, you know, gives us permission to cry out, where are you? How long, O Lord, you know, um, and, and art does that. And, and, it, and it's, a uh, you know, why, why does good music come out of, you know, unrest and injustice. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we don't need to get into a debate over it, but you know, some, some have been, you know, some people I've read that, that lately saying, you know, is music just really poetry? Um, you mm, know, that you yeah. think of lyrics of songs, I mean, sets of music, but it's, it's really just poetry of different kinds, you know, people expressing themselves and there's certain music that sticks around, I think for a reason, I think it's why pop music doesn't always last as long as other music that was kind of birthed out of difficulty. And, you know, the Vietnam sure. war, you think of like classic rock, I mean, there's just a lot of music that comes out of certain eras, um, you know, Motown, different times of, of, of just pain and struggle and, and, you know, uh, different seasons in, in history. But, oh, um, yeah. and if you want to talk about poetry, I mean, uh, the liner notes to a love Supreme, uh, unbelievable yes. kind of poetry the uh john john coltrane yeah. um uh and even his his music uh in itself just the music alone that doesn't have lyrics uh mm -hmm. and that is uh pretty much completely imp improvised is a kind mm -hmm. of uh, poetry i think in part because it does these things it, it creates space for us it creates mm -hmm. silence for us it is ambiguous it is dissent um it lasts uh so yeah we can interpret the word poetry i think pretty broadly sometimes to to our benefit so christian so other than obviously taking all your courses um what what would be you know someone listening and they're going okay poetry not into that you know i tried that in high school it was weird um someone that is interested whether that's reading it writing it creating it you know, all the above, where, where would you say like where, where people should start, um, you know, to kind of get their feet wet? I mean, are there certain poets they should read? Is there, you know, you've, you've mentioned, you know, reading it out loud does help things like that, sure. but, but where, you know, where would people, cause I know you've talked you know, some high and lofty ideas, obviously. Right. Um, but you know, people are just like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. What, what do I do? Tell me what to do. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd grab a couple different books of poetry. Uh, you've got, uh, Mary Oliver, who is pretty much you can get any of her books. And she has these um, lovely, seemingly simple poems that are just so accessible and delightful uh, and challenging at times. Uh, Lucille Clifton, I think, is uh, in, in uh, kind of a similar vein. Um, very often these, these short, playful, um, more challenging poems then I think I'd probably recommend, of course, because I've mentioned him so so often. If you if you are interested in poetry and theology, you can't go wrong with Christian Wyman's *My Bright Abyss*. Uh, it's his memoir, but he weaves in poetry, so you actually get kind of his context um, in, involved around that poem, which tends to make them more powerful. Or then. Uh, Christian Wyman put together an anthology of poems that includes Lucille Clifton, includes. Um, uh, I think Hopkins is in it. Um, maybe some T.S. Eliot, Mary Oliver, uh, lots of wonderful people. Uh, and that's called Joy. Uh, it's, I think, an anthology of 100 poems. But if you search Joy and Christian Wyman, I think those are all really good places to start reading. And then, you know, when it comes to writing, 
poems. Um, I would always have my high school literature students make blackout poems with me. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what blackout poetry is, uh, which uh, I know that you do, uh, but if your listeners don't, you simply take uh, a news newsprint, whether it's a magazine or, or a newspaper, and you start taking words away, which so often poetry is about concision. So learning to take things away instead of adding things to the page is a wonderful way to begin um, creating and exploring with, with words. It's very much in line with what poetry is. I like to say sometimes that it's kind of like um, uh, creating and solving a crossword puzzle or word search at the same time. That's kind of what it feels like to create uh, blackout poems. I know you've got some, some blackout poetry on, on your website. Um, they can check out my Instagram at Christian Robert Shockley on Instagram if they want to see some of my blackout poetry or, of course, the patron saint of blackout poetry. Austin Cleon uh, has a book called Newspaper Blackout. That can be a really fun, accessible way to kind of bring it in. I think that's a really fun way for teachers to make poetry more accessible as well. Yeah. And I I think that probably five, six, seven years ago, I I ran across some of his work and started doing it myself because I I wanted to try it, but I didn't know where, you know, where to begin. I felt dumb, you know, and it's like the idea of like the words are already there. You just have to go find them and make them, you know, craft them together rather than having to come with, okay, what do I say? How do I say this? You know, um, I think it's a great, and it, you get into drawing, you get in, I just feel like you're using a lot of different muscles, creative muscles. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll put a, I'll put a link to his uh, video. It's really helpful. Kind of a two minute deal that shows you real, oh, really yeah, and how to make black. Yeah. Yep. And it should I be simple. That. Like that's the point it's, it's to jump in. You don't take all day doing it and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, no, I love this. I think all the books you, you recommended are fantastic. Uh, blackout poems. Now tell me, uh, Christian, obviously you have a lot of things going on. Um, you're in a part of a lot of things, but tell me a little bit kind of uh, what you're working on right now and also where people can find you. Sure. So uh, you can find me at uh, crs.work, crs.work. Uh, you'll probably have to put www in front of that, but that really includes um, everything that I've got going on right now. As you mentioned, there's the the poetry course that's uh, coming up, which people can sign up for. It'll start early to mid-October, depending on how uh, numbers shake out. Uh, if you want to talk to me about online education, you can reach me at christian at pathright.com. I work with all kinds of educators in uh, so many different venues. Right now, I'm working with uh, a stonemason to, to teach online. I'm working with a dyslexia expert. I'm working with a couple of seminaries. It's really across the board. My mission there is to think about basically how can we take these things that we're saying about poetry and theology? How can we apply those to the online world? How can we make online education more interesting, more human, more enjoyable, or to, to maybe misquote Aquinas how can technology be in the service of the educator instead of the other way around? Uh, so that's, that's the kind of thinking there. And then one other thing that's kind of been in the mix that you'll see on the site is I do a lot of vocational guidance, which is essentially uh, working with a person one-on-one to help them discover what they're made to do. Uh, and I really enjoy that work. I, I guess basically feel free to just get in touch through the Mm -hmm. website, kind of like you did, Mm -hmm. uh, because I'd love to have a conversation with you about some kind of meaningful idea. Well, Christian, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, You have helped a lot of people. Um, You've given us some great things to to chew on and think on, especially when it comes to, to poetry. And I'm really glad that we we bumped into each other and um, really looking, looking forward to all the things you'll continue to make and create. And so uh, thanks for stopping by the show and giving us your time. And uh, everybody thanks so go, much for having me. Yeah. And everybody go check out his, his work. We'll put that all in the show notes and all the best to you, brother. Thanks, Ryan. Well, there you have it, friends. Christian Shockley, go check out his work. All of his information is in the show notes. And you can check out his poetry course that he's launching soon. He has, still has room for that. Uh, and I think that'd be a great place to start. Uh, when you think about, maybe I'm interested in poetry, writing poetry, understanding poetry. Christian is a great teacher and he would be really helpful in that uh, journey and in that exercise. And so check out his course. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, some of the recommendations that were mentioned in the show, please check out some of those books. Uh, I'll put those in the show notes as well. He mentioned some some poets that you might be interested or just kind of getting into it, uh, thinking about it. 
Um, if, if you're a person of faith, some of Christian Wyman stuff is really good uh, when you think about poetry. But I, but I loved Christian's uh, perspective on art and poetry and just how when we think about art and we think about faith and, and I know not all of us are, are faith people, but, but the different angles and the different disciplines and the different ways all these things collide. And I just really appreciated his way of seeing those different connections, uh, that, that all of these things, art and life and faith and theology and all these things aren't separate things, but they, they find themselves touching each other, uh, and connecting to each other in different, different ways. And so, so thank you, Christian, for coming on the show. And before we leave, just a couple of things, if you'd like to stay updated on on latest podcasts and what I'm writing, what I'm making, what I'm up to, things I'm offering, uh, please go to the website ryanjpelton.com and sign up on the newsletter. That's a great way uh, to connect. Every Monday, I, I send out Monday Motivations, Motivation Mondays, I should say, and I send out five cool things I'm thinking about and cool links and everything. So great way to stay updated on stuff that's going on and keep updates on there as well. Um, also, you can check out other episodes of the podcast uh check all that stuff out there's some free resources out there and there'll be more things coming uh, down the pipe um also uh if you could leave a rating a review on itunes or wherever you listen to this podcast it really helps us get the word out into the world as we kind of relaunch the prolific creator um and we ever have some cool stuff i'm, I'm working on uh some swag some merch some t-shirts some mugs some things uh that i think you're really going to enjoy and so keep a prize on that i'll be letting you know when those things are coming live and so before I go, prolific creator nation, I just have one more thing to say, and that is go make some great art with your life. And I'll talk to you guys real, real soon.